Good morning. Praise the Lord. My name is Pastor Edwin. Welcome back to my podcast. This is um, OSL Level 1 Faith Builder, True Repentance, Part 3 of True Repentance. Uh, being Right with God is the series, but we're in the Faith Builder. Faith Builders, Being Right with God, True Repentance, Part 3. Now, if you were with us last time, we um, left off. We were just going into the book of James, chapter 2, uh, verse 14. So if you don't mind, go straight to there real quickly, and we will open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, come to you with an open heart, thanking you for this moment in time. Thanking you for allowing us to come together here through this podcast, through this venue here, Lord, that we can reach those that that want to learn more about you, that want to hear what it is that you're saying, your absolute truth, Lord, that we can use your holy word to guide us and lead us. That is not my understanding or any man's understanding, but that you make it clear as we ask you, Father, to clear our minds and our hearts, Lord, uh, to, to make it clear for us, Lord. We invite Holy Spirit to come and make, give us wisdom to discern the difference between the truth and the lies of the enemy. Father, we ask for this blessing today uh, that no interruptions may occur, Lord, during this time, during this session that they are listening to these teachings, Lord. We thank you for Jerry Dearman. God bless him for allowing us to use this uh, OSL teachings um, to to modify it, to make it our own, giving us permission to do these things, Lord, that we can bring it to our community that we're working with and the culture that we're facing today, Lord. Father, we glorify you as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, all that are here today, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, here we're going to, again, this is OSL, Level 1 Faith Builder, the True Repentance, okay? The True Repentance. And um, right here, we left off last, um, last session on James chapter 2, verse 14. And basically what we were talking about was how faith and works <clears throat> go together. That you can't have faith in one part and have no works and you can't have just works and have no faith so because if you have works and no faith and you do something and not believe it's going to happen then it's not going to work out right you're always going to be a negative person you're always going to have doubt that it's going to happen but we learn to trust God and in trusting God we learn to have faith our faith grows as we trust in God and believe that who he says he is he is and that is our Lord, our God, right? Okay, so with that, let's start off. It says in verse 14 of James chapter 2, What does it profit, my brother? And if someone says he has faith but does not have work, can it save him? Or your brother or sister is naked and destitute to daily food, and one says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What is it profit? Also, faith by itself, it, if it does not have work, is dead. But someone will say to you, have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my work. See, again, we were talking about how that's key because a lot of people do that. So what he means here is pretty much the kind of works that he's talking about is a living testimony. Let me show you how I live for Christ. Let me show you my works. 
how I live for Jesus Christ, how I serve him, not just by doing things, but how I live my life, what I watch, what I listen to, how I walk, what I wear, what I, uh, um, what I participate in. That is a big one right there because a lot of Christians fall into participating in community events that have nothing to do with God. They may not be bad, but then there's those things that are against God and they don't know it, they don't realize it, or again, they suppress the truth. And by suppressing the truth, they move forward just so they can have a good old time, right? So being a living testimony is the greatest thing that a, a Christian can do, uh, can show other people. The greatest works is to be a living testimony. You don't go around with a camera showing people how you blessed the homeless. You don't go around with a camera showing people how you helped somebody fix a flat tire. You don't go around with a camera showing how you baptize somebody. You don't go around camera doing that. Well, baptizing could be a little different because it's supposed to be a thing where you do out in the open. And everybody's supposed to see it. But when you do things where, where, uh, um, uh, where you do things like give, give to somebody, you don't go maybe have a camera with you and record how you gave to somebody. And I heard one time um, this homeless man was talking about how horrible he felt that they, the people came to him. Uh, he was actually talking bad about some Christians, and he said, you know, I can't believe that they did this to me. And the question was, what did they do to you? I mean, it looked to me in the video that they blessed you. And he said, no, that's not it. Fine, they gave me gifts, but I didn't want people to see me at the worst moment of my life. I didn't want people to come to me and, and, and say, hey, man, I saw you on a video. You're that homeless guy. I, he said, I'm already going through something in my mind for these people to come up to me with a camera, fine, they want to give me something, thank you. But why you got to stick a camera in my face and show the whole world how bad off I am, that I'm homeless? So, you know, some people take offense. It's hurtful. But I think, uh, I want to say, not that I think, I want to say that what Christ was trying to show us is that by not letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing, those are the kind of things that we, we look at as well and say, all right, well, let me just give. Give from the heart, not to stand on a corner, not to show and, and announce ta, 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 what the Trump is, right? Don't announce the good things that you've done. Just do them. Just do them. And somebody asks you, then that's a different story. Well, the reason why, again, speaking about living testimonies, the reason why is because each and every time, everything you do <clears throat> is for the glory of God. And we have to remember that everything that we do is to glorify God. Everything. Everything. I mean, if we're going to go <clears throat> stand up and, and bring a camera to a homeless man's face, is that glorifying God or is that giving us some kind of feedback? Is that giving something more than what we're supposed to be giving to God? Because God says what we do in secret, he will reward us out in the open so that he can receive the glory when people see <clears throat> and testify of the blessing that you received, okay? And then the people or persons that you've blessed, that you've uh, uh, helped out, they come around the corner without anybody knowing it, without you knowing it, and they're glorifying God, saying, praise God, this person that loves Jesus came and did this for me. And people ask, really, who was it? Oh, it was so-and-so, and they did this, and they did that. Now, they're testifying to the works, to the works that Christ 
all right, has in you, but because of Christ in you, because of the love that God has placed in you, in me. Those works, living testimony, make people change their lives. They go and testify, not about you, but testify of what God has done. See, because there's things that we, we have to understand that people, when people give you gifts, it's not just because of them. God is in control. If we really believe that God is in control and someone comes and gives you a blessing, you need to praise God first of all and then thank the person for being obedient to God. Being obedient to God for doing just that, for coming all the way through. See, because people can be disobedient and be like, eh, and contemplate and doubt and go back and forth in their mind to the point and they're wasting time and then they lose the uh, the window shuts, the window closes, the door closes, the, the opportunity is gone to bless that person, you see? So when we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, we're obedient to God when he tells us, bless that person, we go and we bless that person, but we're not announcing it. That person will go around and announce it and glorify God. And that's what we want. We want God to be glorified. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're at James chapter 2. Uh, and we started reading verse 14. Okay. Verse 14. And, ba -ba 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 -ba, and we have here um, verse 17. Thus also... Faith by itself, it does not have works. It is dead, right? But someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Again, what he was talking about was his living testimony. You believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe and tremble. So Jesus said, I mean, look, let's look at Peter real quick because he's a, he's a great example. Look at Peter and Jesus said to him when they were on the boat and, and look at Peter, you see the other brothers there in the boat with him, right? They're out in the lake and Jesus said, come, they're not in the lake, but you know what I mean? They're in the sea and, and he said, Jesus, come, Jesus said, come, now he could have stayed in the boat and he could have said, I don't know. I don't know, man, you know, you're standing on water, but I can sink. Is, is that him being a living testimony? Is that him believing, having faith in God? Is that him showing his works in faith? No, but he showed it. Let's read it. He shows it. He says he got out of the boat. See, his action showed his faith. And that's what James is saying here. James is saying, all right, you're saying you have faith. But I'm going to show you by the way that I live my life, that I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he is the Lord of my life. You see, and, and then he talks about how, again, the demons believe and they tremble. You can believe, anybody can believe. Well, even the demons do too. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. And that's big. You look at that action right there alone with Abraham. You know, him taking his son after waiting so many years to have his son Isaac. And then funny as Isaac, he watches him grow up. He's with him. He's teaching him. He's bonding with him. He's loving his son. He's praising God every day for years that go by for this boy. 
And now God tells him, hey, grab your son and sacrifice him to me. You know, and again, again, what did Abraham do? Did he not show his faith by works? Yes, he did. He went straight up. He said, I'll be obedient to you. Did he like it? Surely not. Surely he did not like it. But he believed in God. And whatever it was that God was up to, he knew that God was going to correct it, fix it, mend his heart. Whatever it was, he can reverse it because he's God. He believed in God. He had faith. So now he's going to show his works by going up there and sacrificing his son, putting him up on that altar, ready to do this. And we all know that God stopped him, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Oh, isn't it great to, that you can be called a friend of God? How far are we from being righteous like Abraham? Are we living testimonies? We can be. This is why these courses like this are important, that you go into it, you come to see uh, uh, in depth how these people, how these believers of God, these believers of Jesus Christ, these brothers and friends, hmm? It says here that we can be friends of God, righteous, friend of God. You see, then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, uh, was not Rahab. Oh, yeah, Rahab. Nobody thinks about that one, her, right? The harlot also justified by works, not by faith only. See, by works, when she received the messengers, and sent them out another way, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So let me just tell you, James is not saying that we're saved by works. No, that's not what he's saying, and that's not what I'm saying. Uh, not that we're saved by our works. Instead of faith, no, what James is saying is there are no works that follow your confession of faith. Then that shows that you, that it wasn't a true confession of faith. But if you really believed what you said, then your life would show it, right? What we're saying here, that if you truly are converted, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ did these things for you, that you truly believe that you are a new creation, you truly are, uh, your mindset has changed, the renewing of your mind has taken place, and you automatically automatically you start living for Christ. You become that living testimony and the, you learn how to hold on to that and how to do that more dearly and, and, and uh, for the glory of God. See, because you can get confused along the way. That's why you need to stay in church. You need to stay in your Bible study. You stay in the Holy Word of God. First and foremost, the Word of God and in communication with the Father, praying to Him constantly. Because if you really believed what you said, again, then your life would show it from what you believe. See, if somebody called you and said, you got an inheritance down here for you, just all you got to do is just come to the bank and sign it. And you're going to get about $8 million. You can say, I believe it. But it's three or four years go as three or four years go by and you don't make it to the bank. Your action shows that you really didn't believe that. So you just struggle, you know. 
just cry, struggling, try and, and struggling. You keep doing this and doing that. See, the way you act shows how you really don't believe that there's an inheritance down there for you. You just don't believe that. You may have said, uh, well, it, if you really believed it, you'd make arrangements to be there tomorrow. You may say all these things like, yeah, well, and excuses. But if you really believed that $8 million is waiting for you at the bank, you'd be there quick, snap, boom, pew. But if you don't believe it, eh, time will go by. Just like I said, time will go by when you don't believe and trust in God that he's telling you, hey, go bless this person. Go bless these people. Go bless that family. Do this, do that. I'm not talking money. I'm talking you bless people with a, with, with a, uh, a loaf of bread. <laughs> you know, you can bless people with just your presence. Just coming up and saying, hey, how are you? You know, you need some help with something. You can bless, bless somebody with anything at all. The point is that you're being obedient to God. You're, you're living, you're a living testimony. You're listening. You trust and believe that God is, God wants you to do this. So when it comes up in your mind and in your heart, you go and you do it. You don't hesitate. You don't wait back. James is saying, come on. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and that you live in your life for him, that ought to show it in your life. And this is truth. Not that you're perfect, but it ought to be by grace. You have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's true. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Remember, that's true. Salvation is by zero works. All by grace through faith. Isn't that right? The Bible is not disputing that. James is not disputing that. Jesus is not disputing that. They're just saying, if you're saved by grace, then you ought to be acting like you're saved by grace. Is this true or not? You're a living testimony. You're not a dog or a pig. Well, who are dogs and pigs? Well, Matthew 7, 6, and, and these are references Matthew 7, 6, look back on that. These are references to those who despise spiritual things. But you cannot obey this command unless you can discern who the dogs and pigs are. Now, I don't want to go deep into that, but that was part of my notations here, and I wanted to share that with you uh, because of what we're going to go into next, okay? I want you to turn over to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, chapter 2. Verse 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And he, here we're going to read, it says here, verse 1. And you, you, he made alive. Capital H, God made alive. Who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who know works in the sons of disobedience. And this is why I said to you uh, ahead of time, Matthew 7, 6, the, the references uh, of uh, discerning despise, the, that despise spiritual things and who are the dogs and pigs. We're going to go right into that. See with your spirit, not your heart. 
Okay, we're living testimonies. We go against these things by living as a testimony. We we acknowledge. We can see these things. See how it goes in pattern. You'll see. You just follow along here. Okay, read along here. We're in Ephesians chapter two, verse three. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by by nature children of wrath. What does he mean by that? By nature, children of wrath. Hey, we were stirring up the wrath of God by living that way, though, coming against and not obeying him, being disobedient. We were stirring up the wrath of God, building up for that time to just boom, hit us with the wrath. Hey, when he flooded the world, was not that wrath? Come on now. Now we we're saved from that. We don't, we don't want that. We're like, oh, Lord, thank you. Praise God. Thank you for saving us. You know, it's what we deserve, but thank you, Lord. Just as the others as well. And it speaks about that, how, like I just mentioned, what's happened before. Every building up the wrath of God is not what we want to do. We want to glorify him. We want to love him. We want to live for him. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when he, we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me tell you, a lot of people get that part confused where they say, oh, well, you know, <clears throat> I can take evil and make it good. No, you cannot. God didn't appoint us to do that. God appointed us, Christ appointed us to go out and make disciples of all nations and to teach them his ways. And one of those ways is to cast out demons, to speak against Satan, to push them out of our dwellings, to push them out of our lives. The, the sinful nature to push that out of our lives, to come against evil, not to honor it in any way, not to uh, combine it with anything that we believe not to entertain it in any kind of way where we can turn around and say, well, hey, you know, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So since I'm created for good works, I'm going to take this and make it into a good work. Make this part of that. But if God is showing you to do something like that, then hey, man, praise God. Praise God. I mean, I don't want to contradict. What I'm saying is because that's what would happen. People would take that as a contradiction. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them beforehand. So what is he saying? What is he saying that beforehand, right? Oh, so rest assured, just put it out of your mind. That's not what he's saying here. Read it again. For we are his workmanship, his workmanship. He created us for a purpose, for certain things, okay? If we truly believe that God is in control of our lives, we hope in him for the good things that are to come, right? Yes. It doesn't mean that we sit back in a pew and sit there for years and say, well, I've been waiting on the Lord and nothing's happened. That's not what he's saying. 
He's not saying that either. He's saying get up off that pew and go and do what the God is uh, pushing on you to do, what he has commanded us to do, no matter how it is that you're going to go about it, but that you're doing it. You see that you're doing it. But people will take that also out of context and say, well, you know, for instance, I'm going to do a celebrate this, you know, pagan holiday or I'm going to celebrate this this evil holiday that I have no idea that it's evil, but I'm going to go and participate in it and and just participate. But I'm here. I'm being a light. No, you're not being a light unless you're coming against the darkness. Did, did I say that clearly? You're not being the light unless you're coming against the darkness. So by you participating in those things, you're just being a part of that. You're standing in the middle of darkness doing nothing. Did Jesus, like I said before, in a different setting, that had Jesus gone into any of these homes where there were sinful acts happening, of course they realized who he was and they continued. But then once he started to speak, these things changed. These things came to a halt. Even the hearts of men were changed. He didn't go in there and say, yeah, pass me a beer. Let me hit that, toke that. No. He didn't come to participate in any of it or even or even go in there, act like, you know, he's part of it, but he's really hitting them on the backside. Like, you know, hey, 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 whispering the gospel, whispering the kingdom to come. No. He was shouting out loud. He was saying it out loud so everyone can hear. Did he not say that? I stood in the synagogues and taught out loud to everyone. Everyone heard him. But here we, we fool, we mess around and, and fool ourselves by the communities doing events. We want to go to them. We want to be a part of something. And if we see that it's Christian people going, then we go along with them. There was a story once that I heard. That there was a, a, a small family, a husband, wife, and, and a child. And they were in the end times, uh, in a sense where it was, um, something was happening in the world. And people were being killed. And so they all started running. Everybody started running up the road. And they grabbed little bags, whatever they could. And the mom and the dad and, and the child, the little girl, they were all running up the road. And the little girl, as they were passing this alley, she sees an angel waving to her to come this way. A glorious light she saw, right? So she nudges at her mom. Look, we got to go that way. The mom wanted to go, but the dad, his eyes were focused on the wrong things, on his neighbors, community people that were running in that direction and said, no, we need to go this way. It's not a point of saying, well, the woman said, no, we're not. That's not what I'm going with this. I'm going with even the man is supposed to be uh, the the uh, the leader he's supposed to have uh, be out watchful watching out for his family coming against these things that come against us right standing firm against it but his story is that this man was blinded by these things watching those people run I mean come on the mom and the child were running with dad they were listening to him too till suddenly something heavenly appeared to them and he's like no 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 it's all right we don't need to go that way we're all gonna end up in the same place over at the other side that's all that alley leads to here. He didn't believe, didn't trust, didn't realize, didn't discern that it was of God that the little girl and the mom said, well, we're going to go this way. And they went that way. They followed the angel, right? And the man's running and they're running and the crowds of people are coming to an end. He's like, you know, some people just don't understand. You know, it's all the same thing. And it's not. So the story ends up where he gets to the end. He gets towards 
uh, a cliff and he starts to realize people are just falling off a cliff. They're jumping right off the cliff and he's following them. And he tries, he looks at the guy next to him. He say, hey, what's going on here? And it was a demon next to him and so forth. And it took him down, you know, it, just explaining that we can follow evil that hides under sheep's clothing right to hell. You need to know the truth of God, the absolute truth of God. You need to pray every day. We need to stay in communication with God. We need to stay in fellowship with God. People complain. They say, well, you know, <clears throat> I got things to do. Yeah, everybody got things to do. So does God. God is busy. What do you think? He, he just stops everything in the world to come to just one person? You know, think about that. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He can handle it all. He is God. So he doesn't stop everything and says, I will handle this one being. You know, because of his glorious presence, his, his omnipresence, man, he can control and do so many things at one time. So in fact, yeah, you could say that we're being taken care of individually. Having that relationship with his son does that. Having that comfort zone with Jesus does that. Believing that the Holy Spirit with us to lead us and guide us today, today, today. Because Jesus said, I am leaving, but I'm sending a helper. Don't forget that. He sent the helper. Yeah, we still pray to Jesus. We pray to the Father too. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three in one. But we also have failed to acknowledge Holy Spirit 150% as Christ told us that he sent the helper to us. Or was he just talking to the 12 upstairs in the upstairs room? Well, I beg to differ. And so the scripture show us that that isn't true either. Shows that the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit guides us and so forth. And we continue on. We continue on here. Okay. We continue on. Where now, Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That was a big point. Among who also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We all want to live that way, but we don't live that way anymore. You see? And we can see that that's what he's saying. Right? We don't live that way anymore. Believers, people with a... Uh, 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 a uh, uh, fish on the back of their car. The little fishies that symbolize I am Christian. Well, the little fishies on the back of their car where they go to church and continue to live in sin, adultery, perversity, lying, cheating, deception, compromise. Oh my goodness. You can go down the line and people will make excuses. And you know, there's a religious part party that says, well, God knows your heart. You don't need to worry about all these things. That's a devil's life. I ever heard one. You know, if there was ever a demon in sheep's clothing that tells you that because if you're committing adultery, perversity, and lying, and cheating, and committing all these things that compromise your walk with Christ, and tells you, well, you don't need to worry about those things. You know, uh, <clears throat> God knows your heart. That's a devil's lie. That's a demon in disguise, de redirecting you, misdirecting you, confusing you on how to walk and live as a living testimony. Be that living testimony for Christ in you. See, and that's okay. Is that okay with him? No. Paul's saying, 
Paul says, no, no, no. We believers, we used to live like that. Well, we don't live like that anymore. Amen. And so verse four, but God who has rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. You have been saved out of what I did, all that sin. Amen. All that sin that I did, I'm saved by grace. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Through faith and not of yourself. In other words, you didn't earn this salvation that delivered you from it. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, see? For we are his workmen. Because if we could do it ourselves, we'd be like, well, I did that. Yeah, I pulled myself out of that sinful situation. It was me, it was I. It was the things that I opposed to, the things that I've learned by reading this book here. It's how I pick my teeth with a toothpick. Wada, wada, wada. Men will boast. So it's God that did it. He received the glory. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ. And for what? For good work. Didn't you say we're not saved by works? Well, yeah, we're not saved by works. Turns, turns right around and says, now you're in Christ, Jesus, for good works. Amen. So see, once you're saved, works are supposed to follow. Not to be saved, but because you are saved, amen, you know if you go down to the bank and get that $8 million, now you're called to be a millionaire, right? And all God is asking is, would you act like a millionaire? You know, everybody ought to say amen to that because, look, man, uh, you stop crying when you know the milk went up 50 cents or the gasoline went up 15 or 13 cents just yesterday it went, it went down. It looked like it went down eight cents. And always ask me, look, look, man, you're now blessed. Look at that blessing. Praise God. When I come by a gas station, that's what comes out of my mouth. Oh, look at that. Praise God. This one, their, their prices are lower. 25 cents less a gallon. So what, you pull into that one or you go right by it? You pull into that one. <laughs> you pull into it. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Chapter 4, verse 22. Verse 22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct. Wait, 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 wait. Let's back up for a minute there. If you, let's read verse 21. If indeed, if indeed you have heard Jesus, him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off. Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, I spoke of this session before, where that, man, that old man needs to be put away. You no longer live in that conduct. You're still smoking. Stop smoking. Because that belongs in the old conduct. How you used to conduct yourself back then. Hey, let me light a cigarette because I'm, 
um, facing a situation. You know, you ever see somebody smoke? I know when I used to smoke and I ever had a problem when we used to flip homes and I walk in and there was a big problem. Boom, I just put a cigarette out. I light another one right away. Oh, there's a situation here. I need to smoke. I need to go to the cigarette. See? And then I step outside. Oh, my goodness, it's raining. Boom, go to the cigarette. See? Uh-oh, look what's happening over here. Boom, go to the cigarette. And that's a former of an old conduct. That's a form of old conduct. Uh, what I used to do when I was dead in sin without Christ in my life. So you put it away. Indeed. If indeed you have heard him. If indeed you have heard him that you put off concerning your former conduct. Again, write that down. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Let's look at 26. And it says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. <clears throat> Old conduct. When you were living in sin, this was a great thing. Sometimes you go to bed mad at a football game. So furious, you twist and you turn. You have a nightmare that you're the running back and you get hit by 20,000 guys. I don't know. Anything. But it's an old conduct. This is what we're talking about. The self, your old self. Did you put it all away? Be angry and do not sin. We can be angry, but when we were not in Christ, we got angry and we sinned. We blasphemed, broke things. We went up and apparently just punched somebody in the mouth just because. You got in my face. You were the first one I saw, so I decided to hit you. You know, would Christ walk around doing that? No. Why is it that today we don't do that? Because we are a new creation. That is why. That is why. Be concerned about the person next to you and go pay their gas. Next time you're at a gas station, you see that, be like, oh, well, praise God. Huh? You're a millionaire, wealthy, and install the Lord says, act saved. Act saved. Because if you're a millionaire, you're going to act like a millionaire. Huh? You're going to know your neighbor, whoever you see around in a gas station, you go up, hey, let me give me the bill. Give me that. I got you. Don't worry about it. Because you're a millionaire. You act like a millionaire, right? So act like a Christian. Act like you're saved. This is what he's saying. Act like you have it. Live like you have it. Believe it. So we, in chapter um, Ephesians chapter 4, it's the same book. So I'd say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Well, wait a minute. Paul, did it? you say we're not saved by words or, or anything like that or works? And now you're trying to get us to change the way we live? This is the Apostle Paul. Is it it? Isn't it Apostle Paul talking here? The faith and grace teacher? You should walk that way. You shouldn't walk that way anymore. In the futility of their mind, having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that's in them is, and so on and so forth. And come down here to verse 22 as we read that you should put off concerning your former conduct. Again, Facing that part of the former conduct and the old which goes corrupt according to deceitful lusts. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It makes us free from the law of sin and death. And so he says, put away lies. 
speak the truth with your neighbor. And then we started talking about uh, uh, verse 26 in Ephesians 4. Be angry and don't sin. In verse 20, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands. All these things is what we're, we're talking about right here. What we're, we're pointing these things out for a purpose, for a reason, for you to see this. And you can come back. Come back, reread it, read it again. It's important that you do. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor for the work of his hands. Can you see that Paul is preaching the same thing James is preaching? Come on, you're saved by grace. Now walk that way. Live that way. Be a believer. Walk in purity and righteousness. But why? Because you've been given something. You've been given something big. Now let's go over to Romans and close it up here because Romans is where we get the doctrine of grace. And in Romans 4, it says that then shall we say, what then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Did we not read that? Now to him who works or tries to work to be saved, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But hit him who does not work, <clears throat> him who does not work, believe, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. You cannot even try to work to be saved otherwise. The depth of what salvation requires a human being is going to be owed by you, by me, by all of us. Because you thought somehow you could measure up to pay for salvation. And that's why you were trying to measure up to God. He's saying, he's, he's saying, you need to let go. Let that go and just receive the free grace of the Lord. In Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the 20th verse of Romans chapter 5. Look at that 20th verse of Romans chapter 5. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, not where sin abounds, it says where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, <clears throat> even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, grace abounded <clears throat> way much more. The very next verse says in Romans 6, 1, that what shall we say then? In other words, if that's true, the grace abounds much more. When sin abounds, what shall we say? Shall we continue to sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Was there an answer to that? Certainly not. How shall we, uh, we, we who died to sin, live any longer in it? If we died to sin, how can we live any longer in it? And that's a question. Write that down. If you get the answer, write it down. Share it with us. How many of you can see this is not all 
that complicated, but you have to look at it and look at it all, all these verses and say, they're all really trying to say the same thing. They're all really trying to say, uh, there's no difference, but from the different angels, angles, I mean, and, and because it is more complex, but it's not that complex. It's simple. It's very simple. Now, let me, let me show you this. We're going to close with this one, but, you know, I keep saying that, but we're going to get there. Okay. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, all right, chapter 7, verse, <clears throat> verse 8. Second Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry, uh, now you're going to remember we spoke of this, right? Follow along here. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, <clears throat> but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Remember that, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You know, I've already touched on that, and I'm, I'm not going to go into that any further, because I don't want to confuse the fact, the matter. You've already got your notes setting in one direction. Let's keep going that direction. Let me give you uh, four examples. You know, a weak apology is irritating. Have you ever seen somebody apologize and the apology and the sorrow of the apology was not even close to the death of the offense? You know what I mean? That, that'd be like hitting somebody's kid with your car and as you drive away, say, sorry. But have you ever seen this happen? I mean, somebody's injured. Somebody's done something really bad and someone said, sorry, just sorry. That's it. Sorry. I mean, you crashed this person. You crushed them. You crush them up. And think about this. Think about all your sin. All your sin against the Lord. Think about that real quick. See that right there. Sorry. I know it's irritating. I can't believe you did that. I, I can't believe you said that. And it's okay. Sorry. Those sorries that are not from the depth of our heart. <clears throat> that carry a sorrow, excuse me, for the gravity of the offense. Just makes people mad. It makes people mad, doesn't it? You'd be better off not to apologize than to tick them off like that. And that's the way it feels to the Lord when you're allowing sin in our lives and we just kind of want to say, oh, <clears throat> that's right, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, Lord, I confess that sin. Anyway, he got that taken care of. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Now, Lord, about the blessings. Not appropriate, right? You go right into asking God for the blessings after you did something horribly wrong intentionally. And this is where I had another session, another setting where I talked about uh, um, <clears throat> intentional sinning and unintentional sinning. Uh, you know, intentional sinning is you well, exactly what we're talking about here. You really don't have it in your heart. You are not... Your mind has not uh, renewed. You are not who you say you really are. You're not really serving Christ. You're not a living testimony. You're a liar. 
And in fact, you're being found out by those true believers that can discern the spirit, you see? But if there's people that do this, there's people that do this. The unintentional sin is where these mistakes happen, those things that come to mind abruptly. We know what it is. We know that's the enemy. And if we entertain it for just a second or 10 seconds, we need to confess that. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I didn't draw up this thought, but it came to my mind, Lord, and I thought of it. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> forgive me for those thoughts. Cleanse my heart and my mind, Lord. And in that, we move forward into it. Those things being that way is inappropriate to God. It's not appropriate. So the confession of sin before the Lord is not a work where you have to really get down involved and squall for a while to make God believe that you're so sorrowful. <gasps> no, you don't need to do that. Hey, any relationship needs to have a heartfelt communion with the Lord that says, Hey God, I know your word says confess your sins and you're faithful and just to forgive. But I also want to let you know you've been so good to me. You bless my life. <clears throat> you don't deserve for me to compromise. Listen to that word compromise in any area that you're a part of. And I know I'm saved by the grace of God, forgiven, and I receive it. Amen. But I, I also want to let you know that I don't want to treat you like this, Lord. You've been so faithful to me, and I want to be faithful to you. If anybody understand that, that what I'm talking about, does anybody, that's when real relationship is happening. Do you get that? It's not that how to, that's not how to earn your forgiveness because you can't. But it's to be real and straight and honest. Take responsibility for not walking in the grace of God. <clears throat> the grace of God was given to us. It was given to help us so we don't live that lifestyle anymore. Let me say that again. The grace of God has given to, has given to us not just to forgive us. It's been given to us for that, but to help us to not walk in that lifestyle anymore. That's the grace of God. Some people live in outright sin and just keep confessing their sin and thinking, well, I'm confessing it, but they have no intention of changing it. <clears throat> There's no effort because they like it. That's not appropriate. And that's the truth. They like it. It's not true repentance. You're vulnerable to the deception of the enemy and even being deceived that you're saved. And the reason has nothing to do with the works. It has to do with the honesty of your heart as to who's Lord of your life. Who? Because if the Lord Jesus is really Lord of your life, then you're coming before him and saying, God, that's wrong. That's wrong. I got a bondage. I, I've got an addiction. I've got a hang up. But this is wrong. It's sin. I confess it to you. And I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses me and I receive it. But Lord, I also want your strength not to do this anymore. Listen, not to do this anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you do. Sure, there's several of you that are listening in that know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the real life before the Lord. And that's what God's looking for. There's a guy who I, I've talked to who sets up uh, uh, Christian conferences and things like that. 
And he said that he's had a couple of hotels tell him that they have uh, uh, minister conferences and purchase of pornography and the rooms go up. You ever go to a hotel and you know it's there? You know it's there. Do you turn on the TV and go right to the pornography? No. In fact, you might not even turn the TV on at all because you don't know where it's going to pop up, right? But if you like it, you're going to turn right to it and say, well, let me just take a peek, see? Let me just, just go around and look a little bit. You know, that is everywhere. But it, but these things, a couple of hotels tell, told this man that their purchases of pornography in the rooms go up when they've had ministers' conferences. Minister conferences. That ministers were staying in these hotels and the por 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 pornography uh, uh, bills went up in the rooms. Listen to that. God's just saying to us, be real with me, man. Let your yes be yes. The neat thing is that it's not only might nor powers by a spirit, but until we confront the willful sin, the willful compromise in our hearts, then we don't allow the grace of God to really come in and to cleanse us and to strengthen us to get out of that very thing that we're in. You know, a CNN report came out that said number of married couples in the United States is a record load, according to the latest figures from the Pew Research Center. Numbers released uh, uh, show 51% of American adults are married, a 5% drop from the previous year. The median age, and it continues on every year, okay? The median age, the median age for people to get married has risen uh, about 27 and a half years for brides and 30 years for grooms. The numbers reflect an increase in other living arrangements that have taken hold for American adults such as Cohibition, divorce, single parenting, and the rise of grand families. If current trends continue in just a few years, there will be more single Americans than married in, in, in the 1960s. Nearly 60% of young adults aged 8 to 29 were married today. And 20% are married 18 to 29. Experts say America has undergone a cultural shift when it comes to getting hitched, when it comes to getting married. More U.S. couples living together studies say than in the 1950s. And if you weren't married, people thought you were mentally ill. <laughs> now, Andrew J. Sherlin of John Hopkins University, sociologist, told the Washington Post marriage was mandatory. Now, it's culturally optional. Natasha Medina, a single woman, Los Angeles and founder of Medina uh, Muse Management, a firm that represents production artists said the traditional relationship between men and women has changed in the past 50 years. Women have taken control of their careers in life. She said, while at the same time, men have asked their women to be super women. Look at this. All these things that we're looking at that takes us away from the Lord. We need a place of breakthrough in our lives. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. The true repentance, uh, repentance in our life. A freedom. True freedom. I receive freedom today in the name of Jesus. Claim that in victory. Claim it in the name of Jesus. And praise God. Glorify God. That in these things. Because of his grand mercy. And his grace. We are saved. Become that true believer.
Renew your mind. Live for Christ. Be that living testimony as we glorify the Father in heaven. All the glory goes to him. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen.